If you find your way back to your seat. All right. So we're going to look at John chapter 3. So if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and take a look at John chapter 3. I'll give you a moment to open that. Now this week, on Monday, I sat down and wrote you a, a nice long email about everything that kind of went on with the trailer and just recapped everything that we had discovered in two dump sites and found and what was damaged and the insurance uh, process, all that kind of stuff, which, I, I mean, I, I know you, you know what I'm talking about because you all read my email, right, that I send out? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, okay, because my Outlook stats tell me only 30% of you do, so um, it must be the 30% here this morning, huh? Yeah. Um, Ten minutes after I sent you that email this week, I got a call from Greensboro Police that uh, they found the trailer as well. So if you looked in the parking lot and you said, hey, that's a familiar-looking trailer, it is. It's ours. So... Um, that I don't uh, have a lot of time uh, to go through uh, what was damaged and broken, but we're working through that. Um, but we're just going to finish out our time at the school with what we have. Um, so all of our lighting and things like that are our makeshift window dressings now over here. So look beautiful. Thank you, Pastor Anson, for that. Um, we're just going to roll through it, uh, but we do have an insurance claim check coming this week. We'll purchase some new equipment uh, with that. And we'll be ready to go moving into the new building. So uh, it's just been a blessing. To, I mean, really, it's been about as easy of a somebody stealing your trailer and everything you have as possible. In fact, really, the, the biggest pain in our behind is our doorstops were taken. So, and I've been working all over the school trying to find something to prop doors open here. Whew, that's been a pain. But uh, other than that, the Lord made it really, really easy to have our trailer stolen and get back. So thank you for rolling with us on it. That, I think, is the last update. We'll put that to bed uh, on the trailer, and uh, we'll just roll on with ministry now. So John chapter 3 is what we're going to look at. So we've been walking through, almost verse by verse, through this gospel of John. And we said at the very beginning that the gospel of John is a bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in that Matthew, Mark, and Luke— have a fairly chronological approach and a sp- specific audience, whereas John seems to be, compared to those at least, all over the map in what he's doing. But remember, if you uh, uh, remember the central goal for John is that he wants you to know that Jesus is the Son of God, and he'd like you to believe in Jesus. That's his goal, and that's his focus. So we'll allow him to be a bit scattered uh, chronologi- chronologically, excuse me, and also uh, in his audience as well. And so we're going to continue on this this morning. And we get this famous passage because this passage actually introduces this term, born again, one that we use often in the church. In fact, we're going to find that there are all kinds of terms we use for salvation when we're talking into the church, even the word salvation. Um, some of the terms we use actually don't show up in the Bible. But here, born again, describing a transformation in Jesus Christ is found. We're going to walk through that in just a minute. You know, a caterpillar uh, doesn't lead a super exciting life. I don't know if you've ever stopped and, like, stared at caterpillars and watched them move around. They just kind of go around in the dirt and on bark and leaves. And not some super exciting, at least not from my vantage point, um, they don't really understand what their life might become one day. So two caterpillars one day were just kind of scampering along in the, in the mud, we'll call it. Um, do they scamper? 
What is scampering? They wiggle? That's scampering. All right, just not, that's not the crowd participation time, okay? So two caterpillars are just moving along uh, in the mud, and a beautiful butterfly flies overhead, and they both notice this butterfly, and they look and watch this butterfly speechless for just a few moments, and then the butterfly flutters off. Um, And one of the caterpillars looks at the other and says, you'll never get me up in one of those things. (laughs) Thank you for that. Thank you, Brian. Hey, the point is, these caterpillars, they, like, they had no concept of transformed life. No concept of a new life. What they could become. And so this morning, uh, when we talk about this person named Nicodemus who's going to come and visit Jesus, it doesn't seem like even Nic- Nicodemus has a full knowledge of what Jesus can offer his life. But he's searching for something. And I think it perfectly describes so many people in our world and so many people in the church that we are searching for something and yet we don't fully understand or have given Christ the chance to bring the change and transformation in our life that he can bring. Hey, that's the teaser. Let's jump into the passage. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we'll just read the whole thing through 8 verses, 1 through 8. It's not the full story of Nicodemus, but it gets us going on it. Uh, And then we'll jump in and and figure this thing out. Chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans, cannot, uh, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from, or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So this is our introduction to this guy named Nicodemus. Now, he doesn't really show up much in the Bible, just one other place. Uh, So he seems like maybe not a super prominent character. But let's look at him and make sure that we understand this. Nicodemus is probably as close to what we would say he is a good man as you're going to see in the New Testament Scripture. That would indeed be a description of him. I mean, a good, solid uh, person. We find that in verse 1, it it describes him, who he is. Uh, He's a Jewish religious leader who is also a Pharisee. Now, uh, a Pharisee often, when we think of the term Pharisee or we think of those religious leaders, we've talked about them a lot in church. You might have heard them uh, during your time in sermons or teachings or your own readings. We often think of these guys as the bad guys, right? I mean, these are the mean, kind of evil, manipulative people that kind of are legalistic and jab you in the back and just make it so incredibly difficult to be a follower of God. And so we think these, like, these are the bad guys when you hear. But that may not be fair, you see. Thank you. I got one. One laugh on that. I worked on that all week. I'm just going to do it again. I'm doing it again. That may not be fair, you see. 
All right. All right. It's a lot of churches without pastors right now. I'm going to... You see, uh, what we have to understand about Nicodemus and about the Pharisees is they are incredibly religiously devout. They are incredibly devout. Like, when I say devout, um, I don't just mean that abstract, general understanding of they're like, they're really religious and pious. No, they specifically wanted to obey the word of God. That was their drive. That was their focus. Like, does it sound a whole lot different than you and I? Of that goal, that desire to follow God's word, to live a life that's in agreement and accordance with God's word. That was the core of who they were. And like anything, uh, they decided to take this even a step further and it became more of a legalistic system that they actually created system upon system uh, outside of what God's word said. But we've got to remember at their core, their desire was to follow God's word. These were not people who were out there uh, openly sinning or, or doing things like in the name of Satan or anything like that. These were people that were trying to follow what God's word, the Old Testament law, had to say. And so at their core, they were following God. There's about 6,000 Pharisees in Israel. So uh, it feels like a big number, but if you you take all the religious leaders, um, there were many, many, many more religious leaders. About 6,000 of them were Pharisees. They had made a commitment. In fact, it was a three-pronged commitment to follow God's law, and to carry out God's law. In fact, they were the authority. So not only did they want to follow it out, but their authority told them that they needed to go and make sure you followed it out, or the Israelites followed it out. That was what they were doing. So Nicodemus is one of these Pharisees. So in his core, he would have not only wanted to obey God's law, but it would have been part of his job to make sure others understood the law and followed it as well. So you look at things like he would have followed the Sabbath. Like every week, he would have followed the Sabbath. He would have gone to all the religious festivals. Remember last week, we talked about one of those festivals. He would have tithed. I mean, they would have tithed all the way down to that if they were growing little herb plants in a pot at their homes, they would have tithed 10% of what they felt like grew over a certain period of time. I mean, that's how particular the Pharisees were. Most likely they would have had the scripture memorized. Let let this blow your mind for a second. Um, You struggle with like getting one or two verses, like when we have a verse of a week kind of thing to memorize. He would have had probably the entire Old Testament as we know it memorized. You believe that? I mean, every young Jewish boy up to about 15 years of age, they would memorize the law, the first five books of the Bible. But a religious leader, a Pharisee, would have memorized it all the way through. Uh, It's pretty incredible so devout. We learn about Nicodemus a little bit more. Uh, he was brilliant. We learned that he was like a great scholar. He was high on that well thought of. We've learned that he was wealthy. How do we know so much about Nicodemus? Well, many believe that uh, he was Nicodemus Gregarius, who was actually the brother of Josephus, the historian. So if you're familiar with Josephus, who we get a lot of non-biblical writing about the characters in the Bible, including Christ— it would make sense if he is a brother connection why we would know a lot about Nicodemus as well. Though the Bible only covers a little bit, there's actually much to know about him. So he's fairly famous. Um, We find that he's probably one of the three most influential of the Pharisees. 
And he's a member of the Sanhedrin. What's the Sanhedrin? Well, that's kind of the political group of the Pharisees. These were the 70 men who were like the Supreme Court. So if there was an issue, you would take it to the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin would give judgment on whatever issue there was. He was a member uh, of this as well. So he's one of the more respected rabbis in all of Israel. But something's missing. There was still a need for him to go ask a question of this new rabbi who was, uh, call it, on the rise, gaining in influence and popularity. Verse 2, right at the beginning, it says, After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. So when he came at night, he wanted to just talk with Jesus. Now, why do you think he came at night? Now, I've heard for many, many years, and kind of the knee-jerk reaction is that he was most likely afraid. He was scared. He didn't want the other Pharisees to see him, or he didn't want to, to, to be known as somebody who would interact with Jesus, especially somebody who might have been on the Sanhedrin on that type of things. Maybe. The Scripture doesn't tell us, and we want to always be careful we don't sanctify imagination, Right? There could have been other reasons why he came. The Pharisees, part of their job was to teach all day long. Teach, teach. Any of you have professors or teachers? Do you understand? You teach all day long, right? Jesus taught all day long. So it would make sense that their meeting would be more in the evening here. But whatever the case is, they come together, and he comes asking questions. Can I just tell you something about the Pharisees? The Pharisees had the reputation, they didn't need to ask any questions, because they had the answers. You ask questions of the Pharisees, they don't ask questions of you. Do you know anyone like that? I mean, have you ever worked with somebody like that, who they've got all the answers, they don't need to ask uh, any questions. You find you're asking them, or they want you to ask them. That was the reputation of the Pharisees. So it was very unique here that Nicodemus came to Jesus— We also find, if you look in all of the other passages here, uh, even the ones that might have some sort of questions, when the religious leaders speak with Jesus or question Jesus, you can tell it's in a, we're trying to trap him, or it's in a derogatory, or in some type of attack mode. We don't get the feel for this at all when Nicodemus comes. Why is that important this morning? The first key point I want you to understand this morning is that you can come to Jesus with all your questions, and even your doubts. I mean, that is good news for us this morning. That if there's a religious leader, one of the three most prominent religious leaders is what we understand in history here, that feels like he needs to come and ask a question of Jesus. A question of clarity. Tell me more about this, Jesus. How does this work? How much more are we allowed to come? Any of us to come with our questions and with our doubts. Here's what happens a lot of times in the church world. Uh, People come and they start tracking a little bit in the church. They plug in a little. They come to a small group and we're we're like kind of excited about it. But then you know what? They have some questions. They'll say like, that Trinity stuff just doesn't make any sense to me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all is one. That's just not logical. I'm I'm not sure I believe that. And there's like a collected gasp in the whole church. (gasps) What? You have to believe that. That's like a core of our, our theology, right? And whereas that's true, it's a core, we need to allow people time to wrestle with it. Bringing their questions to Jesus. Bringing their questions to us as the church and say, how does this work? How does this work together? That's what we find Nicodemus is doing. If you're here this morning 
and you're still on the search, maybe you haven't made a decision for Christ, you've not said yes, or maybe you've made a decision, but as you're growing and you're learning more about Christ, like for you, there's, there's just, call it even a stumbling block if you want, there's these questions that you're looking for answers for. Do you remember the, the song by U2 back in the 80s, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For? Like it used to bug me to no end. And I'm thinking, no, you guys are, you're Christians, because that was the testimony of them, and you still haven't found what you're looking for? What's going on? But as I got older, I started to understand more. I can know Jesus Christ, and yet I can still have questions I'd like Jesus to reveal to me. I'd like God to share with me more. And there's these moments in my life where I even have these doubts trickle in. doesn't mean I'm ready to throw away my faith. I've never been there. But I have these little doubts of like, how does this work together, God? How do you do this? And we find here that the first key point is you can bring it all to God. Don't go home and not come back to the church. Because this should be the kind of place where we're encouraging each other, challenging each other, and allowing each other to voice our questions so that we can build into one another. And the source, I believe 100%, the answer is in Christ. Jesus has the answers for us. And reveal it most often through his word. So let's take a look at verse 2. Let's continue on here. If you've got your Bibles, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. The end of it says, uh, But Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Remember, we talked about the miraculous signs. The wedding in Cana, he did one of the seven big signs that he'll do in the book of John. This started to get around already. So they know that. They've seen that. But notice here the respect that Nicodemus is giving Jesus. He says to him, uh, you may not catch this as odd, but we all know that God has sent you to us. Do you remember another time in Scripture where the Pharisees speak to Jesus, and Jesus is doing some miraculous thing, and guess what they say? They ask, by what power do you do this? Another time, they actually skip that question altogether, and they declare that he's doing it in the name of Satan. In fact, that was a common tactic for the Pharisees. That if somebody was doing something like this, and Jesus in particular, that they were doing it in the name of Satan, through the power of Satan, through some demonic type of power. But Nicodemus comes with respect, and he says, we know that you're from God. He sent you to teach us. Notice the we part as well. Nicodemus doesn't simply come and say, I have noticed this. There seemingly must have been others who had this respect and had this interest and curiosity about Jesus as well. And so he comes. We learn that he admires Jesus. He respects Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus yet. Jesus is going to challenge him to know him. Hey, uh, church, just for a second, can I, can I just let you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of people we interact with every day that respect Jesus. They admire Jesus. They think Jesus was a great man, a good teacher. They're okay even with your love for Jesus. But they don't know Jesus themselves. And here we're going to find that Nicodemus actually goes somewhere and Jesus is going to challenge him to become something that he didn't even know he could become when he came just seeking and asking questions. I believe God uses every single one of us if we would be willing to be that for somebody in our life. Somebody who might be seeking that doesn't know Jesus yet. And if we would just be open, that God would use us in that way. 
So back to Nicodemus, what we find, uh, look at verse 3. He says here, I tell you the truth. Jesus is responding here. Um, some of your translations say uh, truly, truly, or verily, verily, if you have some of the older translations there. Simply means uh, amen, amen in the Greek, which means amen, amen. We know that word, right? So be it, so be it, is what Jesus is saying. It's basically, it's the same as like when you hear in the courtroom, somebody puts their hand on the Bible, you know, they say, Uh, you know, so help me God, I'll tell the truth. That's the same type of thing that's happening here. So Jesus is making this an emphatic statement here. I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know what born again actually meant straight? I mean, the the Greek word straight across, it simply means, it's a very simple word. It just means change. Born again means change. In fact, it's a word that Pharisees used. They understood this word. And so Jesus is saying, unless you change, unless you change, you can't, be, you can't be born again. Well, what is he getting at there in this change? He says, I, I, I call for a change here. And I think for us, my knee jerk at least, maybe you're like me, is that I change something on the outside. I change some behavior in my life. And if I would just change a few of these things, then I'm good. I'm ready to go. But we actually find that Jesus is talking about something richer and deeper in our life, this inner change. In fact, it's going to be a change that the Holy Spirit kind of combines with us, and the Holy Spirit does this work to change our life. Now, we're coming up. I mean, we're we're October, right? We're coming up on the new year. How many of you will make resolutions at the new year, right? And usually they're resolutions to change, right? I'm going to lose some weight, you know, this new year. I've been, I've been losing 10 pounds every January 1st for a lot of years now. Um, somewhere between January 2nd and December 31st, I find them all, but uh, I, I do want to lose them. Um, or we say, hey, I'm going to give up smoking during this time. I'm going to, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Jesus is talking about something deeper we'll get to here. Now, uh, let's, let's look back to Nicodemus here. Um, this is a time, if we're not careful, when we move on here, we would describe Nicodemus as a big dummy. That's what we'd say, right? Because Jesus just says born again, and how does he respond here? Take a look at it in verse 4. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back in his mother's womb and be born again? We'd say, oh, that Nicodemus, these religious leaders, they're just so thick-headed and dumb. They just don't get anything, right? Now, uh, never mind that. I mean, I'm 44. I've had 44 years of sermons to learn and teaching to learn this type of stuff. But let's take a look at what a Pharisee might have understood for just a second. There was, uh, among the rabbis, there was a saying that went like this. A convert who embraces Judaism is like what? A newborn baby. That's understood. A newborn baby, that there is a new birth. The mikvah was actually part of their custom, still is today in Judaism, and it was this gathering on water for purity. So if you were unclean for any reason, you would go in the mikvah and you would become clean. It's a pool. Look it up on Google. You can see a lot of pictures of it. And so uh, the men would come like right before Sabbath, and they would get in the mikvah, and they would get pure, and they would get clean, Women, uh, at the end of their menstrual cycles, they would go in the mikvah to get clean. Prep for burial. The bodies would be put in the mikvah to get clean. These ceremonial things that were done. And one of the key ways that they would use the mikvah is conversion to Judaism. So when they became Jewish, they would use the mikvah. What does this mean? Nicodemus already had an understanding of going in water 
and being uh, born again, if you want to call it that, or being like a newborn baby. So what is Nicodemus is asking here? If there was this understanding, what is he kind of getting at here? Well, take a look at this verse as well. Verse 4, it, it actually says uh, that how can an old man go back? Well, it's interesting he says the word old there. It must uh, mean that Nicodemus feels like he's getting along in age. He's getting a bit older now. And he's asking this question like, how does an old man be born again? How does an old man change? Like, Jesus, I understand what you're saying, but most people— right, even in our day and age, come to know Jesus or become converts at a very young age. For us, it still sits around 75 plus percent. Under 18 years of age will become followers of Christ. 25 percent or so after 18. Same would have been true. How can an old man change his ways? How can an old man be born again is what he's saying here. Do you remember Jerry Sandlin? used to go to our church. One day I went to see Jerry's wife in the hospital. And it seemed like a, I wouldn't call it a routine visit. She was sick. But uh, certainly we didn't expect to find out that she would have bacteria kind of racking her body. And uh, within a couple days she would pass away in that hospital. She never, never got out. As you can imagine, it would wreck Jerry. Just wrecked him. And I sat in his kitchen, and probably for the first time in a long time in his life, if ever, he started ask Jesus questions. And we started to talk about this. And I would love to say on the spot, it all became clear that Jesus was calling him to his side. But, but no, it, it took weeks of just conversing and talking and listening. But then one day, Jerry said yes to Jesus Christ. And said, I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus. And do you know that not within a couple weeks after he made that decision, Jerry got the diagnosis of cancer. And it progressed pretty hard, pretty quick in his life. He went down to Florida for some, uh, some care because he had a family member, a cancer doctor. But do you know that they drove overnight all the way up one Sunday morning so he could be baptized back when we were in the warehouse. Uh, and then not too long after that, just at a home right here in Greensboro, he passed away somewhere around an eight-month period from his wife to him. Jerry was 71 years old when his, when his wife passed away. Can you see the question that Nicodemus would ask? Can somebody old, can their life transform? Can they become new? Can they become born again? You know, Jerry's story, his testimony would be absolutely, absolutely. And that's what happens. Can I tell you just the key point number two in this passage for you this morning is you, you're never too old to let God transform you. Now, we're a, we're a fairly young congregation overall. Even though those of you out there that call yourself older, um, you know, there's a lot of churches that have a pretty good group of people that got you beat by 20, 20 25 years. We skew a little younger here, um, but the question's no less relevant to you. If you're 20 years old— you're not too old to change. If you're 40 or 60 this morning, you're never too old to let God transform your life. If you have been stuck in a dead-end job for 25 years and you've just gotten a rut where it just seems like life is miserable, you know what? God says, you're never too old to let me transform your life, to let me help you look at life in an entirely different way. That's what Jesus is having. That's his conversation he's having with Nicodemus today. We never really know the number of our days anyway, right? Recently, just a few weeks ago, Irma Hansen 
who was one of just the dearest saints I've ever known in my life, Irma Hansen passed away at 95 years old. 95. And you know that she was in great health. She had a bad fall, and that fall caused some blood clots. But she was tracking. Every morning she would sit at the staff room table at our former church, and she'd work us through the prayer list. It was just a list of names. You know what the prayer list looked like at, at the church? It was every single name of anyone that attended Wendover Hills. Or excuse me, Deer Valley Church, where I was at the time. Um, in fact, if she couldn't remember who it was, she would write down, like, um, short guy, brown hair. You know, like, that, that's the way she would describe it, and she would pray for them. She passed away at 95 years old. I found myself amazed at how emotionally hard it hit me just sitting, I was sitting at the building site when I read the, the note on it. But you know that equally I had a, a good friend, Ryan Bartlett, who was in Africa on a missions trip, and the car turned over that he was in, killed himself and another missionary, 35 years old, out there doing the work of God. Both of them doing the work of God separated by 60 years. So we never know our days. You're never too old to let God transform your life. Back to, to Nicodemus here, verse 4. Uh, he's, he's, he's really asking the question, wouldn't it be nice if you could just start over? If, if, if you wish you could just, you know, just start again. Have you ever wished that? That you could just start again? Just have a do-over in life? Or a do-over in a location? I mean, some people spend tens of thousands of dollars to move to new cities and buy new houses and new cars because they want, what, a fresh start, right? That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's, Nicodemus is now asking, how does this happen? Verse 5, let's take a look at it. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without being born of water and of spirit. Now, if that hasn't confused people over the year, that passage right there. So if I were to line you up right out on the street with somebody and they had spiritual questions and they said, I think I'll start with this passage. Can you please explain to me what born of water and spirit means? And then you're like, go, you're on the, on the stage. Tough one. In fact, uh, biblical scholars are kind of all over the map uh, on this one, where what they believe actually Jesus is specifically talking about. Let's put it in context of what they know. You see, John the Baptist had been baptizing, right? We've been walking through that in the book, so it would make sense that if John has already talked about John the Baptist and baptizing and transformation, that here Jesus might be referring to John the Baptist. Baptizing in water is what we found out. That baptism was a baptism of of repentance. That's what John said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so he baptized in that way. But of the Spirit here, Jesus is talking about something even deeper. He's talking about regeneration, a change of life, a new life, something that God does for us here. This type of new life in the Spirit. Now, repentance here, that means like you turn from your sin. You might have heard this over the years uh, in the church world. Sometimes we hit this issue of repentance so often, so much time on it, that we forget about the regeneration time. We don't want to do that this morning. But we do want to make sure we understand repentance is turning from our sin. It's like turning and walking the other way. It's like saying, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking this way in my sin. I'm done with that. I turn this way because I've got something so much better to look at here and follow over here. That's repentance. And that's what John is preaching and Jesus is affirming today. That it's important that we repent. 
so often we might say things about following Jesus like, you know, hey, we just, you know, just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. And we're really, really shy about ever talking about a sin that might be a problem in our life. That God says, walk away from that. That's a life destroyer for you. Repent of that. Put it down because it's killing the life that I have to offer you. So repentance is important. But how important is this part here? That the Holy Spirit is given to you for regeneration, to change your life. If there was nothing supernatural about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and what Jesus is talking about, why would we spend any time on this in the first place? What we find here is there is like this regeneration and new life, something that we cannot do for ourselves. We track and we walk with Jesus and we find that we have this new life and the Holy Spirit is working in our life. Now Jesus goes on to explain this, verses 6 and 7 here. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. He's saying, look, Uh, you can't do this on human energy here. Like, you can't have this regeneration in Christ just on your own human energy. This can't be like a a New Year's Day decision where you say, I'm now going to lose 10 pounds. I'm going to work really hard, 1,900 calories a day. I'm eating lettuce. You know, whatever. it It can't be accomplished simply by human energy. He's saying the Holy Spirit actually comes and joins with us. And works in our life, and the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. Because what's born of the Spirit here is what he's talking about. Verse 7, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And so Jesus is speaking this, Nicodemus explaining to him how it's not just about the law you know. It's not just about following the law and obeying all the law. There's a new generation and a new life. So how does this really happen? Final verse here for the, the morning. And Jesus goes on in verse 8 and says this way, The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or wherever, where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now, uh, the Scripture doesn't say this. I, I like to picture that maybe Jesus and Nicodemus were talking on like the rooftop. That would have been a common location. They were all flat with kind of a, a places that you could sit and, and talk or, or spend time in the home that Jesus was staying in. Um, it would have been pretty common for this. It also would have been the coolest place to stand and to converse and to talk and probably the less noisy. Uh, we don't know for sure if that's true, but I could picture Jesus, how he does in other passages where he takes something in front of him and uses it as a lesson. I could picture the breeze blowing here and Jesus using it as an illustration to say here, like, like Nicholas, do you understand how the wind's blowing here? And you, you can't see the wind, but you definitely can feel the effects of the wind. You can see and feel the evidence of the wind. You just can't actually see it blowing across in front of you. And Jesus is describing that's how the Holy Spirit works in your life. Like, you may not see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is saying here. The evidence of the repentance and changed life. That's part of what he's talking about. The, the, the belief, the I'm going to walk in faith on this, even though there's times where I have questions on it. The then living a new life and then being about following Jesus and doing the things of Jesus and seeing what Paul dis- would describe later as bearing fruit as well. Here's a key point number three, the last one of the morning. And I put this in question form for you. Do you think your life gives evidence to a new life in Christ? 
or more correctly, the way the scripture describes it, uh, a life with the Holy Spirit living inside you. Does your life give evidence of that? Because what we find in scripture is the way that we are regenerated and born again, that the Holy Spirit takes over and does something we, we couldn't just do on our own, and we find evidence of a changed life, a new life, a different life. I don't just mean like, you know, you start coming to church and you go, you know, I'm going to stop cussing. I need to cuss a lot less. I've yet to find the verse where it actually says the list of words you can or can't say, though I'm not asking you to go out and, you know, be profane in your language here. I'm saying like there's so much richer and deeper transformation Jesus wants to bring your life. And that evidence of it, is it there? Do you see it? Now, don't get, uh, don't get scared here that we're talking about, you know, you've, you know, if, if, you're, if you're, this morning you're going like, I need to ponder that, that you're walking out of here with loss of salvation and you're in big trouble. That's not what we're saying at all. Don't go there. But this is an important thing for us to always evaluate. Are we, am I letting the Holy Spirit have control of this new life? Or did I receive the new life, receive the Holy Spirit, and then kind of put the Holy Spirit into dormancy and I'll take over again? Jesus is saying this new life is dominated by evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, I'm going to leave for you on your own this week. I'd love for you to spend some time in God's Word just searching Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. You can Google it. You can look in your your Bible uh, concordance and references and ask yourself, what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And do you match up with what the Holy Spirit is doing? So this morning, our, our, our key points for you to ponder, and then I want to lead you in a time of prayers, is you can come to know Jesus with all your questions and all your doubts. Come, and he'll receive them. You can uh, never be too old to let God transform your life, to make you new. And finally, a more reflective and self-evaluation, does your life give evidence to the life of Christ? The beauty of this passage is we find that Nicodemus surrenders his life. He follows Christ. He is born again is what we find in the only time later that Nicodemus shows up in the scripture. How about you? I just wonder if it's time this morning to say, you know, it's time. I need to seek God for repentance of how I've been disobedient to his word. And I need to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and be the Lord of my life and to guide and lead so I want to pray for you this morning and lead you in that. And while I pray, I want to give you just a quiet time of reflection, and I'll lead you in it just a little, but then I want to leave it to you to do business with God however you'd like to do it. And then, and then we'll kind of finish up, and, and uh, we'll enjoy the Sabbath uh, our separate ways. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a, a simple story of a a guy who was so prominent and had seemingly everything he needed. He had the wealth. He had the influence. I don't know that he was after those things, Lord. It didn't seem like it in our story. But he had them. And yet, there was still a search. There was still a longing. Lord, he also had total obedience to following your word. And yet, there was something, Lord, there was something still missing. And Father, I believe that a lot of Christians, maybe some sitting here today, maybe this describes you, that they're working so hard to follow all the things that 
maybe we should follow as Christians and that are good and we need to be doing. But we're doing it without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we've, we've put it into the category of human effort. And we're just flat out tired. So Lord, this morning, I want to pray. If, if there be anybody here that's ready to say, Lord, I give up, I surrender. I want to be born again. I want the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in my life to do that supernatural work, that transformation, regeneration I can't do on my own. Lord, I'm willing to, to say, uh, Lord, forgive me. I repent my sin. I repent on those things. Like, I know, Lord, I do enough time with you, Lord. I know those things you don't want me to be a part of. I repent of those. But Father, I want the regeneration that only you have to offer. And I recognize I'll never accomplish that in my own humanness. If that's you this morning, can I just give you just a moment here to do business with God? The prayer can sound something like this. It's just saying, Lord, thank you for meeting me this morning. Lord, forgive me. I repent of my disobedience to you. And, and Lord, I, I ask you to bring your Holy Spirit into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I'll give you a couple moments. Just do your own business. Maybe there's something else you need to pray to God. Just go ahead. Use this time for the next minute or so of quiet. And then we'll finish up together. You know, Nicodemus, uh, he was a good man. Sometimes the struggle is that we feel like we're good. Life is good. But like Nicodemus, we walk in forward without a relationship with Jesus, without a commitment to him and following him, therefore the regeneration in him and the life that he has for us. So as we finish off this this song as the praise team just leads us and if you don't know the words it's fine just let let the Lord minister to you by what you hear we'll just allow you to do business where you're at with the Lord you're welcome to come forward and use this stairs as your altar this morning you're welcome to kneel where you're at or stand or however you want to worship the Lord in these final few minutes of our service and I'll come back and close this with an amen in a minute
Lay down your burden. Lay down your sin. 